Amen. Take your copy of God's Word this morning, if you will, and turn to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, as we look at just two verses this morning, verse 9 and verse 10 of that 28th chapter. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Uh, Some of you who looked at my title for today, maybe you've seen the passage, you've already looked it up, uh, you've heard some of the songs that we have sung. Some of you have said, now Reggie, you have mixed up holidays because this is the week of Thanksgiving and it's the week of Thanksgiving break and the time of feast and the time of, uh, of, of gathering together with family. You're thinking it must be Easter, preacher. Because what you're looking at, the text and all the different things that have brought us to this point, somehow is pointed toward the resurrection. But I want to say to you this morning that first of all, gratitude should be a part of our hearts every day of the year. It shouldn't be just reserved for Thanksgiving week. So I believe, one, we are to be grateful. That's a subject that I could talk about every Sunday and it should not get old. Another subject that I think could be intertwined with gratitude, and that is the subject of the resurrection of Jesus. Because the resurrection of Jesus is not just consigned to Easter Sunday. The resurrection of Jesus should inform us each and every day of our lives. And if there's anything we should be grateful for, it is that we have a living, risen Lord. We should be so celebrating what Christ has done in our lives and giving thanks to Him. Now, over the last few weeks, we've talked about the life of Jesus. We've talked that he is the greatest life to ever live. And I am convinced of that. And there are all kinds of reasons that we could cite. There are all kinds of reasons that somehow place his life above and beyond every other life that's ever lived here on this earth. We could talk about his perfection. We could talk about how he lived a perfect life, never sinning, always in the will of the Father. We could talk about that, and hey, that would be the greatest life ever, right? Because none of us have ever achieved something like that. And nobody that's ever walked flesh and blood on this earth has ever achieved that type of perfection in their lives. None of us. So we could stop there and say, you know what? Jesus was the greatest life of all because he lived a life of perfection. We also could stop and we could say, well, the authority in which Jesus lived the authority he demonstrated whether it was his healing power or his teaching ability he would demonstrate authority and you would be right that that would be one unique characteristic of Jesus that would set him apart from every other life I mean to see his miracles and to hear his teaching and we've looked at some of those things I mean that would set Jesus apart as the greatest life of all. But then I want to suggest to you this morning that the one defining characteristic, the one defining moment of Jesus' life, the one thing that would truly set him apart from all the rest of us is the resurrection. That the resurrection of Jesus, that knowing that he faced death as all of us will outside of the Lord Jesus coming himself, that he faced death and that he defeated it and that he is risen today. 
That one thing alone makes Jesus the greatest life to ever live. And it is the reason we come and we give thanks for this one we call Jesus. It is the reason we come and express gratitude toward him because even today, this week, he is our risen Lord. And I want you to see this as these women who are returning from the tomb, as they meet Jesus face to face, and as he gives them this direct comfort, as he gives them this direct command to rejoice, to worship, to rest, and to witness. Notice here what it says in verse 9. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice. So they came and held him by the feet and worshiped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. So here are these women, this company of women who have come to the tomb of Jesus. They are coming, and I'm going to talk more about this in a moment, but they are coming to basically continue the, the preparation that needed to be made for the body. They were coming to bring spices and, and to rub and anoint his body accordingly as their tradition. But it says that here they are now returning from the tomb, and behold, and literally in the Greek, that is the first word that you find in this verse, behold, Jesus met them. Jesus decisively appeared to them. He met them. And he said to them, rejoice. I want to take that for a moment and just think through the idea of rejoicing in the risen Lord and how that is a command for us today. As we think about celebrating, as we think about Thanksgiving, that somehow we are to be reminded that we are to rejoice as we have met the Lord Jesus. Rejoicing. Well, that's a whole lot different from what they've experienced the last couple of days. When Jesus looks at these ladies and he says to them, rejoice, it is such a different emotion, it is a different contentment that they find from what they have experienced the last couple of days. Obviously. The Friday before this Sunday, the one that they had followed, the rabbi, the teacher, the young carpenter from Nazareth, he had been crucified. He had given up his life on the cross. And I believe that most of these women were there and had witnessed it. They knew that Jesus had died. And what emotions must have taken their lives, just consumed them. That day, as Jesus' body was brought down from the cross, we were told that two, up until this moment, secret Christians, secret believers, secret followers, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, they go to the council and they have asked for permission to have Jesus' body, to bury it. So the body is released to these two men. But I'm convinced that these women, and here in this case, the company that comes on that Sunday morning, made up of Mary Magdalene, Mary, mother of James, Joanna, Salome, and other women, that they were there to take the body and to begin to prepare it. And I can't imagine. 
Folks, I can't imagine the grief and the pain that must have been there. Now, you and I, we've gone through moments of grief and pain, right? We've experienced it. We've seen loss. We've seen loss in our families. And, and, and let me just stop and say today that this week is tough for a lot of people. A lot of people. Because this week amplifies the loss that some have experienced. I was with a young man this week, and we were talking about him going to visit his family. And he asked me for prayer because they're still struggling with the loss of his sister. And this was going to be a very, very tough time for them. And, and I prayed with him and, you know, prayed that the Lord would give peace. I, I understand. A lot of us, even this week, and there have been some losses that I'll mention at the end, even this week that people have experienced. So this can be a very tough time. So all of us have experienced some type of pain and grief. We know. And we might can even identify for a moment with these ladies who are there who go and they have to prepare the body of Jesus. And they've got to do it very quickly, remember? Because the Sabbath is coming. That evening, that Friday evening, the Sabbath will, will begin. And there's not permitted to be any work. Of course, he had to be, they had to make sure that he was dead because he could not be on the cross during the Sabbath time. All of this is occurring and they're going feverishly working and they are in grief and they're trying to massage the body to try to loosen it up. They are, they're applying well, they're washing it, they're cleansing it, they're applying spices to it. They're doing everything they can so that they can get the body in the tomb. And they do this. They wrap the body, they get all of it done, and then they place Jesus in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. And then they wait. And that Friday evening, and that Saturday You and I have been there again. We know what the initial shock of a loss is. But then to try to process it. And try to think through it. And here these ladies are. Thinking through it. Processing it. The disciples who have scattered. There are so many questions. There are so many concerns. What's going to happen next? Who are the religious leaders? Who will Caiaphas and others come after? But then that Sunday morning, as the day was dawning, this company of women go to the tomb. They're going to again complete the burial ritual. According to some commentaries, they would apply 75 to 100 pounds of spice to the body. So they had to go and complete the process. Now they're going and the, we're told in the other gospels that they ask themselves a the question, who's going to remove the stone? Because remember what had happened that the religious leaders had gone to Pilate and had said, you know, there was this, this story out there, this rumor that somehow this one would die and that he would come back. So we've got to make sure that does not happen. We've got to make sure that those rumors are dispelled because it could cause us all kinds of problems. And there are guards posted there by the tomb. And there's a big stone that seals the tomb. So the women begin to think, 
Who's going to move this stone for us? Let's just go. We'll see. Maybe the guards will do it. Maybe something. Maybe. And according to Matthew 28, those previous verses, they get to the tomb. And what they found has happened. Stay with me here, right? What they found has happened is an earthquake has, <laughs> has trembled the earth itself. And, ha- and through the work of an angel, the stone has been removed. And that there is no body in the tomb. There is no individual in the tomb. There, there's only the wrappings. There's only the, the, what had been used to, to wrap the body of Jesus that is there. There is no Jesus... There's only an angel sitting on the stone. And he declares to them that this one they're looking for is not there. He is risen. Oh, the thoughts and the feelings they must have had. When they first saw the stone, they, they saw the soldiers perhaps lying unconscious because it says that they were as dead men these soldiers were. And perhaps they had seen them and perhaps they had had all these thoughts about what had happened, who had robbed the tomb, what had happened to Jesus. And yet this angel had proclaimed to them that Jesus had defeated this grave, this tomb, and that he was living the scripture says that they go from there, and you can, you can almost sense it. In verse 8, they go from there with this mixture of fear and joy. It's like, you, you ever, you ever kind of ever been like fear and joy, right? You, you've experienced that a time or two? Those of you who are afraid of heights ever got into a, a tree stand? It's kind of like fear and joy at the same time. And there, there's fear and there's joy because they don't know how to process it. They've heard what the angel said. But you, you got, hey, listen, somebody is back from the dead. That is unheard of. That defies all logic. That defies every type of mental effort that we have. So as they're going, get this now. I set this picture for you because now as this company of women go, they are decisively met by the Lord Jesus There he is. The one that they heard was living. Now they see face to face. And what does he say to them? In the very first greeting to them, the very first word, he says, rejoice. Literally present tense. Go on rejoicing. I know that you have some joy in your heart because of what you heard the angel said, but I want you to keep on rejoicing. I want you to rejoice in knowing that I am alive. And folks, you and I have got to continue rejoicing. It is something to give thanks for. It is something to rejoice about that our Jesus is alive. And that it's, that it's not just based upon our feeling. It's not just based upon our emotion. It is based upon the fact that Jesus Christ came out of that tomb. I want you to hear that this morning. That you and I have reason for our faith. We have reason to celebrate. Because it is a historical fact that Jesus' body is not in that tomb. 
There's a song we sing a lot at Easter. I know up from the grave he arose. I know that. That was, that was the one we always started service with when I was growing up. But there's another one. He lives. Remember that one? He lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives. He lives. Salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. I love that song. Always loved it. See, I, I, was, I grew up in one of those churches where, yeah, there were a lot of amens that flowed and all of that. But when we were singing, there wasn't always quite the expression. You know, it was kind of like we just sang the song. So when we got some of those peppy songs like that, and, and it was kind of like I felt like everybody was singing. They knew it, and I could just almost shout to the top of my lungs. That was like, to God be the glory, or he lives. He lives. It was just like I would just do it with everything I had. He lives. He lives. I know it because he lives in my heart. He, he's there. I, and, and that's a great statement. I love the song. But I want you to hear this today. Yes, Jesus lives in my heart. But that is not the only basis of my faith. It is not just because I'm emotionally responding that to, to Jesus and saying, I want to believe that. It's not that he just lives in my heart. Understand this. Jesus lived in history itself. He was a real person. And he really died. And just as his real death was the substitutionary work for us, his real resurrection is what gives us the power and the glory each and every day. I know he lives not just because it's in my heart. I know it because there is an empty tomb there today that you can look in there. He is not there. And all of these gospel writers who would come and they would give the story and the way things were around Jerusalem, they knew they could go look at the tomb. He wasn't there. We might have issues today of finding exactly which one or that or debating it. First century, when they're writing this, they could say, go look at the tomb. He's not there. No, he didn't swoon and get revived by some moisture of the tomb. No, he wasn't stolen. His body wasn't stolen. There were guards there. There was a stone. No, this is not some elaborate conspiracy. It was a historical fact. And because of that, you and I can rejoice. We have full confidence and assurance. And we can rejoice. Man, I like rejoicing. I love it. I love the joy that God can give us. This week, despite all the difficulties and despite all the loss, I pray that there are moments that you can rejoice. I hope so. Thursday... If the Lord gives me strength and patience enough to stay in North Mississippi that long, Thursday, I'm going to gather around my mom's table, and we're going to eat. And it's awesome because when the prodigal comes home, she prepares the fatted calf. <laughs> Don't think I'm not. The other three, two are where she can see them out the window, and one's just up the road. So just know I'm the prodigal. But going on. 
It's, it's going to be a great time of rejoicing to eat and to enjoy, to be happy. I hope and pray that some of you all can experience that this week. But I want you to be as genuinely happy in Jesus as you are around that table this week. I hope that you can authentically rejoice in who Jesus is and what he's done and the resurrection itself as much as you do in anything else and your senior kids or senior grandkids or senior parents or your grandparents, whatever it is. I hope that you're genuinely as happy as meeting Jesus as you are seeing them this week. Because I want you to know the one who decisively met those women is the same one who decisively meets us where we are. And he still says to us, keep on rejoicing. Don't give up on it. Man, I tell you, I remember those days growing up and like I said, singing that he lives and how joyful I was as a child to, to be able to participate and worship. And But I'm so, I'm so blessed to continue to be able to rejoice in him. Because I get to know him better each and every day. He's living. Rejoice. Rejoice in what? Worship. They saw him. <laughs> he said, go on rejoicing. And guess what they did? They said, okay. We will. Let's worship you. They grab on to him, the scripture says here. They, they clasp on and they worship. Wait just a minute. I thought worship was a prerogative of God himself. That the only person that should be worshipped was God. So why are they worshipping Jesus here at this point? Yeah. Because he's God. Because only God could defy the odds of death. Only God could be risen from the dead. Only God, because nobody else, nobody else on our own strength could pull off something like this. Oh, I know, one day you and I will be resurrected. I'm going to talk about that a little bit next week. But the only reason we're going to be resurrected is because Jesus himself was resurrected. And it's through his power. He's the only one that so deserves worship. Because he is life. So we rejoice in him and we worship him. It's a natural reaction. I really believe that. I really believe that. That it should be a natural reaction. I, I believe that we as worship leaders should set the context for people to worship. I do believe that. But I also believe this, that when you have come face to face with the resurrected Lord, you don't need somebody to try to motivate you to worship. You don't need some cheerleader standing up here. I'm not calling you a cheerleader, Jeremy, all right? <laughs> Kyle, Jen, not calling you all cheerleaders. But I'm saying to you that when you truly meet... <laughs> the resurrected, the risen Lord, 
you don't have to have people saying, you know what, you ought to worship. Oh, come join worship. No, when you see Jesus Christ face to face and you know he's alive and he is the power that has worked in you, then I'm going to tell you, you haven't got to have an issue about worship. You're just going to fall on your knees and worship him as the risen, resurrected Lord. He always has been, always will be in our lives. They just worship. It's natural. I ain't got time. To, I ain't got time this morning, man. I was reading Revelation 1 just the other day doing a Bible study on it. Go back and look at it. The glorious, majestic vision of Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you, our churches need a little more of that vision today. One of the reasons we're so anemic... One of the reasons we can't seem to find our way in worship and the reason we are substituting worship for all these spiritual highs and all this, this emotional high, let me say that, is because we have forgotten what the Lord Jesus really looks like. And when we see him face to face and him in his glory, then it will not take anything else about us. It will just take us as ourselves giving ourselves to him to worship. I'm going to tell you, we need to catch the vision once again. They met him. Jesus met them. He said, rejoice. So today, I just encourage you, rejoice. He is the resurrection and the life. That's what he told Mary and Martha. And that's not just what he told them. That's what he demonstrated to them. But he wasn't just one to give power to other people and their living. He was one to show that he could overcome death, hell, and the grave. So he says, rejoice. Go on rejoicing. They worship him. Verse 10, and then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. I love the way Jesus always knows what to say to us when we need it. You and I have been there before, right? We may not have told everybody what we're going through. We may not have put all our business out on the street. But there was some inner turmoil or there was some kind of decision or there was something that we were wrestling with. And it's amazing how God always knows when everybody else doesn't. And how he is able to speak the exact words we need to hear. Maybe through the Spirit using his word, he speaks to us. I said to you that these women were were mixed with joy and fear. That's what the scripture says. So what does he say first? He says, hey, I know, I know what you're going through. Keep on rejoicing. And then he says to them, don't be afraid. Literally, if I were to translate it, I would probably say something like, stop being afraid. Stop it. Don't be afraid. Uh-uh, nope, don't let it. How many times do we hear those words in Scripture? Do not be afraid. When the good news was being announced to those shepherds in the field that night, they were told, do not be afraid. And now here, as Jesus is demonstrating his resurrection, his life, he says, don't be afraid. Stop. He says, you go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. What's the significance? I, I don't know if I'd ever noticed this. One of those things that I've read, 
And I don't know if I'd ever zeroed in on this because Jesus said, go tell them I'll meet them in Galilee. Now, that doesn't preclude other resurrection appearances or post-resurrection appearances by Jesus. Jesus does appear to the disciples in Jerusalem. We know that or so. But he says, tell them I'll meet them in Galilee. Now, the feast of the unleavened bread was taking place. It was going to come to an end that week. And after that week, presumably, they would have gone back to their homes in Galilee. So Jesus says to them, or says to these ladies, you go tell my brethren, my brothers, intimate terminology. You tell my brothers that I'm going to meet them up in Galilee. Well, it's significant because in Matthew chapter 26, verses 31 through 32, while Jesus was having this final supper with them, the final moment of fellowship with them before his crucifixion, before the trials and the crucifixion, he told them, he said, you're going to be scattered. Just know you're going to be scattered. You're going to be fearful. You're going to run away. But he said to them in verse 32, he said, but remember, I'll go ahead of you in Galilee. So Thursday night, he had told all the disciples, your faith's going to fail. You're going to be scattered. And they were, I mean, those disciples, they ran from one place to the other out of fear. The only one that I know that was at the cross was John. All the others had scattered because they were fearful. And you would have probably too, and I would have, because what are the religious leaders again going to do next? What is Caiaphas going to hatch in his plan or his conspiracy against us? But Jesus had said to them, hey, I'm going to meet you up in Galilee at your homes. Don't forget I'm going before you. So here, in these words, and again, these words echo what the angel actually said in verse 7 when he said, Indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. And now he says, you go tell them. I'm true to my word. I told them they were going to scatter. But I'm going to Galilee and they're going to meet me there. Do not be afraid. I know you've been afraid. And I know they've been afraid. And I know everybody seems to have given up hope. But don't be afraid. I am going to Galilee and I'm going to see you there. They are going to know me. You stop being afraid. Why can you stop being afraid? Because you just met the resurrected Lord. Hey, you and I, listen to me. You and I, we don't have to allow fear to consume us in any way. You and I don't have to be paralyzed by fear. Why? Because we have a resurrected Lord who has said, hey, I, I'll go before you. I can meet you right where you are. I want you to see my strength and my power. I want you to know that I am the risen one. Well, let me just, let me just read two verses from Revelation 1. I'm not going to do it all. I know I got time. I, you got Sunday school, and I got to get through, and Mama's expecting me for dinner tonight. So I know, I know all that. 
put Revelation 1, 17 through 18 in this glorious vision that Jesus gives to John. John says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. Yep. Isn't that what I told you? When you see him, you respond in that awe and worship. But he laid his right hand on me. I love that. It's kind of like Jesus just says, hey, old friend. My beloved one. He lays his right hand on him. And he says to him, do not be afraid. Same language. Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and death. You know what John said to them? He said, don't be afraid. I'm the living one. I'm the one who was and is and is to come. I, I am the living one. And I have the keys. That means that he has the authority over Hades and death itself. You remember what Jesus told his disciples? He said, don't fear those who can kill the body only. But fear the one that is standing all of the one who can obviously kill the soul. That's what he says. But get the first part of that. Do not fear those who can kill the body only. In other words, all they can do to you is kill you. Now some of you look like, whoa. Jesus, I need a little more comfort than that. Jesus, come on. You're supposed to be the one who is there for us and gives us the words we need and the comfort and the encouragement. And you just said all they can do is kill you? All they can do is kill you because get this. Death does not have a final say over who you are. Satan does not have the keys to Hades and death. This world does not have the keys. No king, no prince, no president, no anybody on this nation, in this globe has such authority. Jesus is the one that has authority over death. And the grave itself. And because he has the authority over that, you and I should not fear. Because one of these days, even if, even if death takes us here, one of these days, you can count on it, we're going to bust out of that grave. And we're going to live our bodies themselves just as the body of Jesus was resurrected. You and I should never fear about it. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid but go and tell he says go tell my brothers it is an intimate word as I said just go tell them don't be afraid today he'd say to us don't be afraid and I am so thankful that I don't have to be afraid I can go through life without fear because of him and you know what? I get to tell other people about it too. I get, I get to stand here this morning and I get to tell you who are my brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't be afraid. Go on rejoicing. Stop it. Stop being afraid. I get to tell you. But you and I also get to tell everybody else we come in contact with, right? 
those we have met, we are able to say we have seen, we know the risen Lord. He is resurrected. Just a few verses down, just a few in the same chapter, he will give what we call the Great Commission. And he'll say to them to go and make disciples of all nations. Because everybody needs to hear this. Listen, everybody needs to hear this. That Jesus is alive. That he is living. It changed the story for those disciples. It changes the stories for our lives. And I guarantee you, it still changes the stories for the lives of those who will come into contact with him. Jesus is alive. May we ever be thankful. May we ever be grateful that we serve a living God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for this morning. God, thank you for sending your son to die for us. Yes, a substitutionary death. But God, thank you as well for demonstrating your power and to bringing your son back from that tomb, giving him life so that he could stand as the victor, as the king. God, we're so grateful that you have blessed us with different types of favor and blessing, gifts, family, relationship. God, we couldn't even begin. But what we're most thankful for today is the salvation you've given us through your son, the Lord Jesus. And thank you that we can live each day with joy, not fear. Because of who he is. God, speak to us now during this moment of invitation. Help us, Lord, to respond to you and to be obedient. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?